Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. They try to come together and, and just, again, so they can gain leverage over each other. And that's usually how it is. Oftentimes, that's how it works within the kings of the world, kings and the rulers of the world. It's all about leverage. Who can get leverage? Who can get control? And we don't care. We don't care who we roll over or steamroll over in order to get that. Because what matters most in this world is control. And that's true. And that's true. And that's not even just politics. My goodness, that's like... My, ugh, this world is, is messed up. Have you ever had to deal with an insincere person? Or maybe you've been insincere with someone yourself. People will scheme, deceive, and manipulate in order to get what they want. Often, what they're after is control. Today, Pastor James shows us a prophecy that was given to Daniel concerning world leaders who are insincere in their motives in an effort to gain control. See, they think that they can gain control of a situation with their own schemes. But really, God is the one in control. Their planning is fruitless. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. when he returns to Egypt, he will carry back their idols with him along with the priceless articles of gold and silver. For some years afterward, he will leave the king of the north alone. So there's a time period of no drama, all right? It goes on to say verse 9, later the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will soon return to his own land. However, the sons of the king of the north will assemble a mighty army that will advance like a flood and carry the battle as far as the enemies. Fortress, okay, so the sons, two sons, Seleucus third and Antiochus third. okay, those are the two sons, right? This is verse 11, then in a rage, the king of the south will rally against the vast forces assembled by the king of the north and will defeat them. After the enemy army is swept away, the king of the south will be filled with pride and will execute many thousands of his enemies, but his success will be short-lived. A few years later, the king of the north will return with fully equipped army far greater than before. At that time, there will be a general uprising against the king of the south. Violent men among your own people will join them in fulfillment of this vision, meaning Israel will partner with these guys to help to gain victory, okay? But they will not succeed. Then the king of the north will come and will lay siege to a fortified city and capture it. The best troops of the south will not be able to stand in the face of the onslaught. The king of the north will march on onward unopposed. None will be able to stop him. He will pause in the glorious land of Israel, intent on destroying it. He will make plans to come with might of his entire kingdom and will form an alliance with the king of the south. He will give him a daughter. That's going to be Cleopatra, but not the Cleopatra that you're thinking of with Mark Anthony. She comes 100 years later, okay? But she is related. They are related. Different Cleopatra, though. In marriage, in order to overthrow the kingdom from within, but his plan will fail, okay? So you just see, like, this angel is, like, just distilling all this info to Daniel. He's like, all right, so here's what's going to happen, Daniel. King of the south, king of the north, bada bing, bada boom. They're just going to keep on fighting and fighting and fighting. And your people are going to be involved in this, primarily because they're stuck in the middle. They're stuck in the middle. But this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen in a couple hundred years. 
And then I could just see Daniel like writing notes like, wait, okay, are we talking about the king of the north again or is this the south guy? Wait, this is north or south? I don't know because I can't even keep up and I'm reading this thing. And it's like, he's like, no, just write this down. Write this down. This will definitely be relevant for the nation of Israel in a few hundred years. For us, we get to look back on this and we're like, okay, that's cool. Here's what the, the best thing for us is that we look back on it and we're like, well, that happened just like the Bible said it was going to happen. That happened exactly, scarily so, exactly how the Bible said it was going to happen. And you shouldn't be too concerned with that. Like, because I know it's in these moments where the enemy likes to come in and be like, see, how can you possibly believe that Daniel got this message exactly like that? There's just no way. It had to be somebody who witnessed these events taking place and then reinserting this story. Besides, if they did that, what's the big deal anyways? You're like, yeah, that's right. That sounds more logical, I guess. You don't have to listen to that voice. You don't have to, you don't have to, any of those doubts that are, if they're trying to make their way into your head and into your heart, you just stop them and say, you know what? No, because here's what I know. God knew all this stuff was going to happen. And if he wanted to, he could have included everybody's name in this story. He could have said, no, it's going to be Bernice. I'm like, Bernice? Yeah, Bernice is going to be the daughter. Oh, yeah, and it's going to be Cleopatra. And he could have done all that because he's done that before with names. With names. There's no big deal to God. God already knows. So when we can go through this stuff and it can trigger doubts and all this good stuff, but when we allow that to come in, it steals from us a sense of comfort and security. Because what we should find comfort in is the fact that like, man, God is in control. Like he's in way more control than what I even know about, what I even think about. Nothing gets past him. And he's down to like the minute details of like Bernice. Yeah, Bernice is going to marry this dude. And then that's not even going to work out. And then Cleopatra, she's part of this plan. And yeah, and that's not even going to work out. And we're like, why is that even, that's... Why is it in there? Because God cares about the details. And what's encouraging about that is that God cares about the details of your life. If he cares about Bernice and Cleopatra and these two sons, and I can promise you this, he cares about your life. He cares about the very minute details of your life. He absolutely does. You're like, well, it's not written down in this book. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be, okay? You live today. You live now, right? So you should take comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit of God, God, the third person of the triune God, dwells inside of you. Dwells inside of you. Way better than having your name in somewhere, finding it in the Bible, okay? The better book is the book of life. That's where you really want your name written in, okay? If you're going to pick one, like, yeah, put me in that one. I like reading these stories. This is the word of God. I mean, it'd be an honor to be And technically, you are in here, but we won't go through any of that stuff. But look, the main thing is, he is so just, he's so much in control. And the Bible word there is sovereign. That's the good church word. He is sovereign. He's in control. He loves you. He cares about you. And if your family drama looks anything like this, he cares about that as well. Okay? He cares about that as well. And you're like, man, if he can work something out of this, 
sweet, Lord, take my family too. I don't know, do something with it. But he's showing how history, how the pieces of the puzzle are going to be shifting around and moving into the right pieces. Some of this would be prophecy that historically has been fulfilled. And then some of it, we're going to start transitioning into some that has, it's like a, it's been fulfilled, but it's yet to be fulfilled kind of prophetic realm, right? So, because we still got to get to this like despicable person, because there's like a, there's a despicable person that is, uh, hasn't been mentioned yet. One of these rulers. Look at um, verse 18. After this, he will turn his attention to the coastland and conquer many cities. But a commander from another land will put an end to his insolence and cause him to retreat in shame. He will take refuge in his own fortress, but will stumble and fall and be seen no more. So this guy who's ruling at this point in time, all his scheming and all that good stuff, I can send, give him a, my daughter, Cleopatra, and all this, and we're going to work this plan out and all this good stuff. It, it just comes to nothing. He, this guy ends up dying. Okay, Verse 20, his successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor, but after a very brief reign, he will die though not from anger or in battle, okay? So, and we know that there was, um, and I didn't write this dude's name down. It might be in this portion from um, Haley's handbook that I'll read, but there was a guy who, who he came into, his dad had died, and so he was now the ruler. And so what he thought the best thing to do was just, let's heavily tax everybody. We're gonna tax everybody. Funds are low, let's tax the people. Well, that didn't go over so well. That didn't go over so well. And he, he just didn't last that long, Okay. So he comes to an end. Verse 21 is where we get into Antiochus. That's how I pronounce it. Antiochus Epiphanes. This is the scum of the earth guy. This dude's horrible. This dude's, he's wretched, right? So 21, basically 21 through 35 kind of deals with this guy. It says the next to come to power will be a despicable man. See, my Bible even says he's despicable, okay? So I don't feel bad about calling him that at all. He was despicable. He's horrible. Uh, he will not be in heaven, by the way, this dude. So don't even worry about it. You're never going to meet this guy. He will not be there. I know that. I, can, I would like to say with 100% accuracy. Actually, I think we're safe to say that this dude will not be there. But here's Antiochus Epiphanes, despicable man, who is not in the line for royal succession. So this guy weasels his way into a ruling position. Says he will slip in when least expected and take over the kingdom with, by flattery and intrigue. Before him, great armies will be swept away, including a covenant prince. What you need to understand about Antiochus Epiphanes is uh, technically he, was, he wasn't the next one to rule, but I think it was his brother and he murdered his brother. Okay? And so he either murdered him or had him murdered so that he could rule. Right? So he was able to maneuver his way into this position of ruling. This all happened around 175 BC. He had a nickname for himself or a name that he preferred everybody to call him, and that was uh, Theos Epiphanes. Theos Epiphanes, which means God made manifest. That's what he liked everybody to call him when he became the ruler. God made manifest. It almost sounds like Emmanuel. God with us. But he's like, no, God made man. I am God is what he's telling everybody. I'm God. He declared that of himself. So that's just a little background for this dude. Before him, verse 22, before him, great armies will be swept away, including a covenant prince. That was that idea that he had had his brother 
murdered, who was supposed to be the ruler, but was no more. With deceitful promises, he will make various alliances. He will become strong despite having only a handful of followers. Without warning, he will enter into the richest areas of the land. Then he will distribute among his followers the plunder and wealth of the rich, something his predecessors had never done. So he's, he's a schemer, man. He's like working everybody. He doesn't have a lot of followers, but he's got somewhat of a lot of charisma is what it seems like. And he's just able to like set up these uh, little negotiations with this person and that person. And it's not what you know, it's who you know kind of a deal. And he's working all these alliances, so to speak. He plunders, uh, he's going to plunder the wealth of the rich and then distribute that, you know, kind of out to everybody. Interesting. Gaining followers that way, right? Something his predecessors had never done. He will plot the overthrow of the strongholds, but will last only a short while. Okay, verse 25. Then he will stir up his courage and raise a great army against the king of the south. The king of the south will go to battle with a mighty army, but to no avail, for there will be plots against him. His own household will cause his downfall. His army will be swept away, and many will be killed. Okay, so this is Antiochus, Epiphanes, and this is Ptolemy, one of the Ptolemies, and going at it. And then, so... Within Ptolemy, the king of the south, I mean, there was just a ton of like family drama that was happening within there. And some of his, somebody on his staff, I'll say that, helped to contribute. Actually, it's going to say it here in a second. But he helps to contribute to his downfall, right? Just like, again, like the Bible <laughs> says, it's, it doesn't work out. Because the king of the south, you know, goes in there with the mighty army to no avail. We just read through this, but there were plots against him. His own household will cause his downfall. And that's where we think that Somebody who served really close to him is the one who, uh, you know, kind of blew everything, just ruined everything for him. His army will be swept away. Many will be killed. Verse 27, seeking nothing but each other's harm, these kings will plot against each other at a conference table, okay, attempting to deceive each other, but will make no difference for the end will become or will come at the appointed time. So they try to sit down at a table together to try to formulate some sort of peace plan, but each one's trying to get the other guy, and, and you just know that's just never going to work out, right? You can't have two schemers sitting down at a table together and come to some agreement, right? Because <laughs> you're going to walk away from that thinking, I don't trust that guy. I, don't trust, I wouldn't even trust myself. I definitely don't trust that guy, and that's what's happening in both their heads. So they, they try to come together and, and just, again, so they can gain leverage over each other. And that's usually how it is. Oftentimes, that's how it works within the kings of the world, kings and the rulers of the world. It's all about leverage. Who can get leverage? Who can get control? And we don't care. We don't care who we roll over or steamroll over in order to get that. Because what matters most in this world is control. And that's true. And that's true. And that's not even just politics. My goodness, that's like, my, ugh, this world is, is messed up. That's like in our news media. Control, 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 control information, control. First to the story and all this good stuff. And ugh, it's just nonsense. But they say, um, so I grew up in, you know, I was like a 90s kid, latchkey kid, all that good stuff. Just stayed home. My mom, my mom was working all the time. So I got to do whatever I want. That's good and bad. Mostly bad. Uh, I'll, I'll just be honest. But growing up, like, in my teens, in the 90s, big hip-hop fan. 
big major hip hop fan. Wu Tang Clan, that was my that was my jam. And they had a song that came out. You may not know who they are. Don't even worry about it. They're like not doing anything nowadays. But they had this acronym for a song, and it's Cream C R E A M, and the acronym was Cash Rules Everything Around Me. That was their song. Okay. And that really seems to be true, but I think the C can be changed to where control rules everything around me would be the more accurate translation of that. Because he who has control, well, you'll probably have all the cash as well. (laughs) So uh, it's all about just control. And that's what's happening between king of the north and the king of the south. And there's little Israel, the size of New Jersey, stuck literally in the middle. And when they go to war against each other, they got to go through the Holy Land. And so they're like, well, let's figure out a peace thing. Doesn't work. Verse 29. Then at the appointed time, he will once again evade the south. That's Egypt. But this time, the result will be different. The warships from western coastlands, a.k.a. Rome, Rome's navy shows up. Okay? Rome's navy is going to show up, and they scare him off. There's a battle. There's a battle that happens out at sea. And... The king of the north loses. He loses, okay? Scares him off. He will withdraw from there, or withdraws, and to return home. But he will vent his anger against the people of the holy covenant, that's the Jews, and reward those who forsake the covenant. That's the traitors who live in Israel. Those are the Jews who are cowards. This Antiochus Epiphany shows up, and he's like, I mean, he's going to stop all sacrifices. He's going to, he's basically just like turning his frustration onto the Jews. His goal was to stamp out Judaism. That was his goal. That was a spoken goal that he had. He wanted to completely eliminate all forms and types and talk of Judaism, the religious practices of the Jews. He wanted to do away with that completely. So, you know, he got his rear end kicked. And so now he's got to like, you know, he's a bully. And so now he's got to turn that on to somebody else. And so he's like, oh yeah, Israel, let's go beat up those guys. And that's kind of what he does. And he has some people in Israel, some Jews in Israel who forsake the covenant for the most part, and they help him out. Like they're traitors. They're just traitors. Call them traitors. You can call them spineless cowards. That's, I like that terminology. Because that's what they are. Um, You may think that's harsh, but it's not. It's not. And here's why. He kills 80,000 Jews. He kills 80,000 of them. Murders them. For what reason? No reason. No reason. None at all. He takes 40,000 of them as prisoners, and then he sells another 40,000 of them as slaves. So there are 160,000 Jews who suffer at this man's hands. And so anybody who was living in Israel at that moment in time who turned their back on their fellow brother, brothers and sisters, to help this psycho out, they are worthy of the term spineless cowards because that's what they are. How dare you? Why would you do that? How would that ever be okay to let this invader come in and murder your family and you be okay with it? That's what was happening in Israel at this time in history. It's, it's a weird time, but imagine Daniel. Daniel is still like, he's a Jew who's living in Babylon who has a heart for like Israel, like my country. And he's like, are you, 
this is what's going to happen. Yeah, this is what's going to happen. As Antiochus Epiphanes, he wants to just completely just, well, we've heard this terminology recently with, with Iran. We want to blow Israel off the face of the map. We want to just completely eliminate them as if they never existed. And that's not even just the sentiment of some, some, not all, not all people living over there in the Middle East, but that sentiment is shared by other world leaders on this planet. We'd just be a lot better if the Jews didn't exist anymore. And you're like, how is this okay? How is that okay to say? And you're still part of some of these political groups. I don't get it, but okay. Antiochus, is, he's going to do his best to try to eliminate these guys. And in fact, he's going to just ransack the whole place. Verse 31, it says, his army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to daily sacrifices, and set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. That's the abomination of desolation. Okay, that's where he goes into the temple and sets up an altar dedicated to Zeus. We think it's Zeus. It seems like it probably was Zeus, thus indicating he still had his connections to his Greek mythology. Okay, so this is where it's like, this is, we know this is specifically speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes, because there's some things that happen here where you're like, wait, is this like that guy who was a type of the Antichrist, or is this talking about the Antichrist? Well, we know the Antichrist, capital A Antichrist from the book of, well, we know First Thessalonians, but also Revelation, he will do the exact same thing, but the image he sets up for everybody to worship is an image of himself. He's not setting up an image of Zeus, you know, this bearded, curly-headed, or I don't even know what the, there's like a Marvel, I don't know if there's a Marvel thing, I don't really keep up with any of that stuff. Um, I watch all the movies, but I have no idea what's going on, Um, but uh, what's it, there's like a Thor, he's not related, I think that's a different mythology, whatever. Um, You got Zeus, curly-headed guy, lightning bolt, like he's not setting up that image for everybody to worship, he's going to set up his own image, Right? So he would, the Antichrist, capital A Antichrist, would still have this God-made manifest kind of mentality, but like when it came down to worshiping, he's like, no, no, you worship me. This Antiochus Epiphanes, which you could call a lowercase a Antichrist, meaning he's like a type, he's going to set up this altar to Zeus, and then he's also going to go in and sacrifice pigs on this altar, which is, um, we know the Jews, the, to the Jews, the pig is an unclean animal. And to do that in the temple, the most like holiest of places to have pig's blood would be literally smeared everywhere. He was making a point, really. And, and he did a lot of damage to the Jews. And uh, he ended up taking away a lot of the temple stuff and uh, just stealing a bunch of that. And I think they, the modern estimates of the of some of the treasures that he took from there equal uh, somewhere around like a billion dollars in today's money, what he stole from the temple. Crazy. Like, just, this dude's nuts. And he did all this stuff. He, he put a stop to the daily sacrifices. He, he set up this abomination of desolation thing that we know from the book of Thessalonians. It says, he will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. That's, again, speaking of some of these traitors, right? They're within the land. But the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. So there's a group, a remnant, there's always a remnant, who will fight back against him. We know those guys as the Maccabeans, the Maccabean Rebellion, which is a really cool story. That's the whole Hanukkah story. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, 
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the book of Daniel together, and it's quite an interesting book to cover. From fiery furnaces to strange visions to having a faith that goes against society enough to be thrown to the lions, the book of Daniel is anything but boring. In fact, we hope your faith is spurred on because of what you read and learn in this book. If you need to hear this message again or would like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore a variety of verse-by-verse Bible-based teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary in Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come and visit. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Wednesday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m. You're welcome to join us anytime. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit breadforthebroken.com. You can also get directions there. We're excited to meet you and spend time in worship with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Daniel and gear up for what's ahead in this prophetic book. It's almost like a roller coaster ride where you're not sure what's around the next corner, but what you'll come to find out is rather thrilling, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.